Today's scripture reading is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Uh, Good to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to pray for our time as we uh, continue in worship together um, in this space. And so it is, a, it is a joy to be with you all if you're here with us in person or online. Um, I'm just blessed and honored to be with you in this time. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love towards us that knows no end. We thank you for your presence with us that has no bounds. We thank you for the forgiveness you've extended to us in Christ that knows no condition. And we thank you for your extravagant, generous grace towards us that knows no merit from us. And so, Lord, in this time, would your spirit awaken us to this marvelous truth, the life that it invites us into, and what it means to reflect the image of King Jesus and all that we think, say, and do. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you in this time, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. I am, I have always, I've always enjoyed and appreciated our liturgy of reading the scriptures together, and then together with one voice saying, thanks be to God. It's a beautiful thing that when we come together and hear God's word and declare it over one another and say, thanks be to God, but church, <laughs> are we thankful for the word that we just heard? <laughs> are, we, are we genuinely thankful that the Holy Spirit inspired James to pen these words? Are we genuinely thankful for the words we heard, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter? I know we had to say thanks be to God, and, and again, I kind of love that we have to. Because if we believe God's word is for us and for our good, then we should respond even when it is difficult to hear. Thanks be to God. This is hands down the heaviest, the hardest, and in fact the most horrific of James's words. It's a strong word of judgment, it is a strong word of warning, and it is no less a word of love because James knows, as the Spirit knows, That when we attach our lives to things that can be corroded and lost and made hollow, we become those things. We become what we worship. And as harsh as these words are, they are a gift of love towards us. And so may we, church, have ears to hear. As much as we may want to very quickly skip past this and head off to an early brunch, I think we need to hear these words afresh for us together. And as we listen and reflect and submit together to God's timeless word, I want us to consider this this truth that I want us to embrace and consider. It's this. If God doesn't manage our wealth, it will ruin us. If God doesn't manage our wealth, it will ruin us. 
And so may God bless the, the hearing, the teaching, the learning, and the living of his holy word for the glory of Christ and for the good of our neighbors. Amen. Well, here's what I want to do. So now that everyone's comfortable, uh, we're going to talk about money. But, but I want to give a word of caution uh, before we jump into James's words of caution, okay? And the word of caution is this, that when we come, especially as, as Westerners in, in our very affluent culture, you know, we all struggle and have kind of dealt with the, uh, the, the epidemic of affluenza. I think we all know that, uh, that reality, is that we, we see, some of you got that joke. Uh, it's, it'll come later. But James's word of caution uh, is a strong word, and we need to be cautious that we don't fall into one of two temptations. When we come to texts in Scripture that address matters of wealth and of generosity and of greed, there are two temptations. The first is to equate wealth wholesale with wickedness. And that is not true. That is not the teaching of Scripture. As a person who grew up very poor, I, I, I believed this early on in my life, that, that wealth was equated with wickedness from top to bottom. That's just not true. Now, e- even though that, that temptation, it still rears its ugly head in my life, still to this day, it is not in accordance with Scripture. But the second temptation, and the one we probably need to listen to a little bit more and be careful of, is to downplay or minimize or ignore the very strong words of warning and exhortation and the dangers and temptations that wealth brings us. If we, are, if we are ignorant or naive to it, we may find ourselves unknowingly giving ourselves to something that is unmaking us and leading us down a path that will corrode us and corrupt us. When we fall into this temptation, we tend to find ourselves being tempted by the idea to say that rich people are always other people. That if I were to ask you right now, point to someone rich in this room, no one will do this. No one points to themselves. We always think that rich people are other people. And church, if we are not careful, if we are not alert, if we are not aware of how our possessions and our wealth can hollow us, rot us, consume us, and condemn us, we will fall to the same fate. If God doesn't manage our wealth, it will ruin us. So if you have your Bibles open, turn to James chapter 5, and just look what James says in verses 2 and 3. Very strong words here. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up for yourself treasures in the last days. So right away, James is pointing out on a very basic level just the foolishness of basing our lives, our worth, our identity, our value, our joy upon possessions and wealth because they're fleeting. They pass away. They are, they are meant to corrode. They are not going to last. Setting our hearts and joys upon wealth and possessions doesn't last. They shimmer, they glitter, they shine for a while, but eventually they fade, they rot, they consume, and they decay. And the same fate awaits us when we attach our personal worth Identity, value, and and joy to stuff. Notice how James, you probably noticed as you heard the scripture read, notice how he makes the connection between our stuff being corroded and our souls being consumed. That when we live for things that can be corroded, it it is piling up a mount of evidence against us that condemns us. 
I mean, this could have been written yesterday because we all know the tempting allure of stuff and possessions and wealth to be the basis upon which we live our lives. And yet we all know the disappointing and dissatisfying and destructive nature of living for things. It never satisfies. In fact, it does the exact opposite. It creates us to be endlessly longing people that are never satisfied. And, and if, you, if you doubt me, I give you exhibit A. Does anybody still have an iPod video? I, I remember when this, when this came out, I was so desperate for an iPod video. I mean, like, everyone had one. I was convinced my life would be better if I had an iPod video. Some of you are like, what, where, did you get this from the Smithsonian? Like, where is this thing? And I was so desperate for it. And so, and, and now, I, I went to go look for it. Do you know where it was? It was at the bottom of my kid's toy chest. This item that was, that was fought over by otherwise well-respecting parents on Black Friday uh, is now something at the bottom of my kid's toy chest. The journey from going from a, a Christmas morning present to an unwanted item in our garage sales to a piece of filth at the bottom of a landfill is a fast journey indeed. And yet, knowing that, intuitively, we still live for stuff thinking that, well, maybe the next iPod, the next thing, will gratify the cravings of my soul. Many of us remember the famous Bird's Nest Stadium uh, from the Beijing Olympics. If you recall, in 2008, it was the centerpiece of the summer games in 2008. You guys remember? I mean, it was a remarkable stadium and arena. I mean, it was talked about throughout the entire games. And now, today, it sits abandoned. It's forgotten. It's completely useless. They, they can't fill it with anything. There, there's talk of trying to renovate it, but this is what it looks like today. What was once a global conversation topic, so beautiful and alluring, is now abandoned, unwanted, and forgotten. This is a picture of what acquiring wealth looks like, of what it means to hoard. When we, when we build our lives upon things, we find eventually that we are hollowed out, rotted away, and corroded. Our attempts to gain more and more simply make us less and less, and it will ruin us. The words of James, and in fact the words of his brother Jesus, if you remember in the parable of the rich fool, are, are a, a clarion call for us to awaken us to the way in which we have hollowly built our lives upon things that fade. It is also a call for us to be awakened to the fact that God's design for wealth and possessions, and things, and resources are not simply for our own personal benefit, but for the blessing of others. And if we miss this, it will ruin us. In commenting on this very passage, the late theologian John Calvin uh, puts it this way, so beautifully. He says, God has not appointed gold for rust, nor garments for moths, but on the contrary, he has designed them as aids and helps to human life. I'm convinced that one of the greatest challenges and problems that we face as Westerners is the way in which we have misordered and misappropriated God's design for wealth and for resources. I believe that we see them primarily as a means by which we satisfy and gratify our own cravings, needs, and desires instead of seeing it as an opportunity to care for the vulnerable. And, and this is not, when, when we misorder our understanding of God's design and purpose for wealth, not only is it withholding from the vulnerable and needy, but it's actually unmaking the wealthy. 
And this is a good word for all of us to hear. For when we acquire and when we hoard, we can unknowingly find ourselves worshiping something other than God and in so doing, unknowingly condemning ourselves. Which is why James says probably the most sobering words in verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. If God doesn't manage our wealth, it will ruin us. And we must have a perspective of his design and purpose before we understand and apply some other perspective or value system. And God's design for wealth is to be stewarded for the blessing of those in need, of caring for, seeking the flourishing and the rejoicing of our neighbors and our world. And, and to that end, I want to I do something a little bit special. We're going to do a mid-sermon ministry spotlight. I'm going to invite my friend Ben McLean up here. Ben, you want to grab this mic and stool? Uh, if you are not familiar with this, at Christ Community, we love to do things like share stories of how God is at work. And one of the primary ways that we believe God is at work is through the work of his people. And Ben uniquely is in a role that I believe speaks to some of these realities that we've been discussing in James. And so, so Ben, I'd like to start with you. Just maybe yeah. begin by sharing what you'll be doing this time tomorrow. What is kind of the vocation and calling God's placed you in right now? Okay. So I think all of us kind of realize that organizations all have an impact, either for good or for bad, right? You look at Facebook or Meta, as it's now called, I guess. Um, Netflix, technology companies, um, they, have a, they have an impact on us for good or for bad. And so um, there's been a growing awareness the last several years around um, investing in companies that have a positive social, spiritual, and or environmental impact. Um, and so... At Impact Foundation, the company that I work for, we've taken kind of a unique um, approach to that where we work with individuals and families to take their charitable dollars, so money that otherwise would have been given to their church or other organizations, um, and not to replace that giving, but once they've already given to their church and given to the other nonprofit organizations they want to give to, they use the remainder of that to invest in for-profit business ventures in the U.S. and around the world um, that are doing kingdom work. And so um, what I'll be doing this time tomorrow is about to enter a prayer meeting, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. But on a typical day, I'm, I'm either working with kind of consulting and coaching. The, we have about 300 businesses all around the world that we've invested in so far. So I'm providing them with coaching, whatever they need at the point that they're at in their business and operating their business. Or I'll be working with uh, investors, individuals, and families that are wanting to and make an investment in one of those businesses or a new business that's just that we've never heard of that they that they've become aware of that they're excited about. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Now, one thing we believe is that obviously, like all of life, including work, has been affected by sin and brokenness. And so, from your vantage point, your seat on the bus, uh, where do you see brokenness and sin made manifest in your in your Monday life? Yeah, I mean, we, we like to say that the heroes in our story are the entrepreneurs that are running these businesses. And so, I mean, I have tons of stories I could share of just um, businesses that are taking people out of human trafficking and giving them skill training and jobs um, to, to do, you know, they do photo editing and, and all these types of things that as a, as a quality wage, it, they give them job training and life training and all kinds of therapy. There's a lot of them come out of traumatic situations. They, they pay for their therapy as yeah, they're yeah. working through that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, most of the companies that we are working with are operating in very broken places. And, and a lot of times what my role is is to kind of shepherd those entrepreneurs because it's hard. Yeah. Like, they, yeah. 
you know, if you're giving your life, and they're, they're, none of these people are getting wealthy, they're, they're just kind of pouring their life into this, and they're very talented, they, they would be very successful as a business operator in the U.S., but a lot of them have chosen to go overseas and take roles that are not glamorous and are not high-paying, um, and so we get to support them and, and encourage them in that. That's great. And you kind of answered this question, but just what are some of the connections that we say, like, one of the best ways we love God and love our neighbors through the work that we're called to. And so mm-hmm. what are some of those connections? How do you see neighborly love and loving God through your work? Yeah, so, so literally this time tomorrow, we, our team prays together every day, every Monday through Friday at 930 Central. Um, and so we pray for our business leaders and for our givers, uh, our, our investors, and we have seen amazing things that God's done through that, just answers to prayer that, we otherwise can't explain. So that's a huge thing. Um, the, uh, just other things are just um, the opportunity, to, again, to, to listen, to encourage, um, to bring, I mean, it's an incredible joy to bring a, an investor that's aligned with that business operator, and they form a team. And a lot of times the investor sits on the board of the company or whatever, and it's a bless, It's a mutual blessing yeah. for the giver and for the operator and for us. I so, love that. Yeah. Okay, so last question, kind of tying into what we're talking about in James. You know, we we all have a tendency to attach ourselves to our possessions or wealth and mm-hmm. uh, the, the greed vices in all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ways in which you see the work of Impact Foundation kind of uniquely combating that mm-hmm. and providing guardrails against the greed within each of us? Yeah, I mean, it's, I've been around quite a few wealthy people in my life, um, and they either turn very bitter and inward and they're not very pleasant to be around, or they're some of the most joyful and generous people I've ever met. Yeah. And so... The people that we get to engage with, they have discovered the gift of generosity and what it means to, to see that God owns it all. It's not my money. I'm just a steward of it. And by releasing our capital into dark places and places that are otherwise overlooked, it brings such joy, again, to you as a giver yeah. and to the people that you're, that you're investing with or you're blessing. Um, I just, I mean, there's countless stories of that. And so I would encourage, one thing that... Um, a lot of people that we work with, they, they take what's called a journey of generosity or a jog. I need to do real jogging, but this is a journey of generosity. They're both important. Yeah, they are. Um, and, and I could tell anyone more about it if they're interested, but it's just something to help you identify like where you're at right now with whatever income level you're at. Where can you be more generous? Like, How can you experience the joy of generosity? And so I would encourage that. Well, I would encourage you to, yeah, to find Ben, chat with him if you have questions about Impact Foundation. Um, but, but, Ben, thank you so much for the work you do. Would you join me just saying thanks to, to Ben? Thanks, man. Now, again, the, the reason why we, we love telling these stories is because we, we don't just champion the work of, of, of all of our vocations, but we deeply believe that God is at work through the work of his people. And when we have a redemptive lens through which we see our Monday life, it truly can and should and does bring flourishing and shalom to our world. And so hopefully that's an encouragement to you. But, um, but as, we, as we continue on in James, uh, here's what I want us to see. That James is not just addressing matters of, of individual, personal greed and materialism. He also has in mind matters of justice. And, and that's where we turn next in verse 4. Look with me at verse 4. James says this, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And so what we see here is that James is seamlessly connecting the the greed and the extravagant living of the wickedly wealthy to their exploitation and the disadvantage, the, the advantage they've taken from 
their employees. There's a direct connection. That there is a, a seamless tie between greed and economic injustice. Their greed and extravagance is tied to the fact that they have taken advantage of their vulnerable employees. Now, it, it should be said, just to kind of understand the context, this is, James is writing in an agrarian society, okay? So, so at this time, uh, you, you really only had the chance to have wealth um, if you owned land. If you did not own land, there was precious little you could do to generate wealth for yourself and your loved ones. Now, we live in a very different society in our, in our global economy and opportunities to generate wealth, but that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities and ways in which sin evolves and manifests itself in forms of exploitation and injustice. And we should be very aware and alert to these things. As a church, we should have economic wisdom as we think about our vocations, about our investments, about our consuming and purchasing, the way in which we spend, that should absolutely be something that is under the authority and lordship of Jesus. And so church, we should be ever mindful of these realities. If we are to be a people who are formed, and f- formed first by Jesus and his kingdom, and how that speaks to the way in which we live, work, purchase, contribute, invest, and give, in ways that not only avoid harm, but promote flourishing. And that's, sometimes that's where we get hung up. We tend to settle for a version of, of justice that is just avoid doing bad things. And that's true. It's no less than that. But what we see is that the biblical picture of justice is the, pr- the pursuit, the promoting of flourishing of others. We so often settle for this do-no-harm version of ethics. But in Scripture, like, there's many places we could go to, but in Proverbs chapter 31, the last chapter in, in Proverbs, we read these words, Open your mouths for the, for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So scripture doesn't say keep your mouth shut to avoid violating the destitute. Scripture doesn't say keep yourself from abusing the rights of the poor. Justice is a proactive work. It is the pursuing of the good. There's a reason why the golden rule, y'all. What's Jesus' golden rule? It is not do not do unto others what you don't want them to do unto you. The golden rule in Matthew 7, 12 is do unto others that which you would want them to do unto you. For the whole law and the prophets hangs on this truth. Do you see the difference between being a proactive people seeking the flourishing of others and simply being people who avoid doing harm? Avoid doing harm is the silver rule. That is not enough for the kingdom of Jesus and followers of Christ. And so church, as we think about stewarding our resources, our wealth, in a way that promotes justice, in a way that promotes flourishing, we should ask ourselves if our wealth helps anyone out of poverty, or does it simply just help us out? Does our wealth, do our resources help anyone out of poverty, or is it simply helping us out? Even if you consider your financial capacity to be minimal, I know we're all at different levels in that regard, we all have the ability to do something. However, I believe there is a unique, important emphasis on those of us who have the, the power of employment, who are in charge of people's wages, as James is talking about, and those who are uniquely blessed with, with the stewardship of financial means. And so I want to speak to those of us who would kind of be categorized in these terms. One of the most loving, just, and godly things you can do is to pay your people fair and generously. That, that, that's what Scripture is speaking to. It's, it's no less than that, what James is talking about. 
In fact, it's a key justice theme mentioned throughout Scripture. In the book of Leviticus, of all places, Leviticus, chapter 19, this is where the, the neighborly love command that Jesus builds upon comes from. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And so this chapter where, again, we find the classic teaching of loving your neighbor, it's rooted in economic wisdom and justice. And so I, recently I asked some business leaders kind of in our church to kind of help give me some principles and guidelines because this is, this is beyond kind of my, my scope of intelligence. Like I, I don't know what is the wise principle and the rubric and the Excel spreadsheet formula that you put in to determine how you pay your employees. But they gave me some great wisdom. I want to share some. And while they did mention compensation as a very important variable in the calculus of running a, a good, fair, flourishing, just business, they... They were also quick to share that being a company that does good work, that has good work to be done, and is a good place to work is one of the best ways to love your neighbor. And to that point, one of the leaders said this. They went on to say, in general, people want to do great work for a great team they enjoy working with. If we can create that kind of environment, that is absolutely a place where flourishing can take place. Another leader wisely yet simply said this. If someone does good work and works hard, and follows through, and the value of their contribution has a market that demands the service or product, then pay them. It shouldn't be this zero-sum game, but we should seek to be as generous as we can for the purpose of flourishing and loving our neighbors. Because when this happens, you increase the capacity to bring in more work, to create more jobs, to hire more people, to meet more needs, and promote greater flourishing. Another leader shared this very wise framework. I thought this was just really really simple yet wise. Being able to say yes to the question, are we acting generously, fairly, and wisely, is the best rubric we found. That's very simple. Saying yes routinely to the questions of, are we acting generously, fairly, and wisely? So church, we must be a people of economic wisdom and justice. And I know that even, even hearing those words, those are buzzwords, and some of you already have a category in your mind of, of what my convictions are and where they're coming from. And let me just be clear, they're coming from Scripture. If we are not first and foremost shamed, uh, shaped by the economic wisdom principles of Scripture, we will be formed and shaped by some other category. Now, perhaps some of you are here, and you, you identify not with the extravagant wealthy, but you identify with those who've been taken advantage of. You identify with someone who is the victim of labor exploitation or wages that have been withheld. And if that is you, one, I, I want you to understand that, that Scripture, that God, the creator of all things, sees you and understands that injustice. You know firsthand, or someone you love knows firsthand, the potential injustice that wealth and power can bring about if it is not guarded and governed and placed under the authority and lordship of Jesus. If God doesn't manage our wealth, it will ruin us. And this has always been true, but, but it's especially true in, in our day when you think of unique economic injustices against vulnerable communities. Not the least of which are migrant workers. And, and this is actually something that Scripture talks about uh, multiple times. In Deuteronomy, I know I'm jumping around a lot here. Um, in Deuteronomy 24, Scripture says this, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. 
lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. There's a great um, bipartisan think tank, economic think tank, called the Economic Policy Institute. And, and they put out an article recently on the state of migrant workers in the U.S. And it's something, again, that we should have as followers of Jesus, should be mindful of. And they reference this, this is a landmark study and survey of 4,300 workers in three major cities found that 37.1% of unauthorized immigrant workers were victims of minimum wage violations, as compared with 15.6% of U.S.-born citizens. Further, an astounding 84.9% of unauthorized immigrants were not paid the overtime wages they worked, uh, where they worked for and were legally entitled to. Th this is, regardless of what your political and economic convictions are, this is, as followers of Jesus, something that we should not turn a blind eye to. For when we do, and if we adopt this kind of silver rule pr principle of just avoiding harm, we can find ourselves unintentionally, or maybe intentionally, continuing to live and bow to the American dollar and being captivated and driven by the American dream rather than a vision of Christ and his kingdom. And so as we think about even our own immediate parish and the beautifully growing population of our Latino neighbors here, we should be all the more conscientious of this. Not just because of the many Latino migrant workers in our community, but, but because of also what we we're finding is that the, the direct connection between the investment in la, uh, Latino-owned businesses and the broader economy of our country. There, there's another great institute, the Aspen Institute, if you're interested in checking them out. It's a, a remarkable, another bipartisan um, philanthropic organization. And they talk about this connection between Latino-owned businesses and the broader economy of our country. And they, and they say this, Latino-owned businesses are and will continue to be significant job creators, tax revenue generators, and innovators. It is important to note that the success and contributions of Latino businesses are relevant for all Americans. The success of companies owned by Latinos is critical to the country's long-term economic health due to their rapid population growth. Now, we, we can talk about a whole slew of, of various demographics here, but, but purely from an economic standpoint, Followers of Jesus should reject the kind of fear-mongering uh, fear rhetoric that says that immigrants and refugees are nothing but a drain and a threat to our way of living as Americans. I mean, just from an economic standpoint, that should be rejected. But followers of Jesus, of all people, should be the most hospitable, the most heartfelt, the most hopeful toward our immigrant neighbors. And economic wisdom only reinforces this idea. So, how are we doing? <laughs> You're all here. That's good. Uh, so, in all seriousness, I, I, I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek. I recognize how uncomfortable it is talking about hearing a message on money, on greed, on generosity, on justice, mentioning immigration. It's a lot harder to preach it, y'all. No, just, just kidding. In all seriousness, if we are not careful, if we are not mindful and alert and attentive to the ways in which our enemy uses our wealth to corrode us and corrupt us, to blind us, and to shape us and disciple us in a, in a path that is contrary to the ways of Jesus. We will find ourselves at best naive and at worst darn near damnable if we are not paying attention to the powers that are around us and to understand that we do not war against flesh and blood. If we ignore the truth that our wealth will ruin us if God doesn't manage it, then we are in for a great rude awakening. 
It doesn't matter how much you think you have. We all have a kingdom responsibility for the ways in which we steward and manage our wealth. And we should, as Ben shared, it is a beautiful gift that we give ourselves in seeking to be generous. And so, so to that end, I want to offer just a few practices. These, these are not commands. This is not the thus saith the read uh, of what you must do and how you should live. But some wise economic principles of how we can live more fully and faithfully in the design in which God has given us. And the first I would say is this, is live simply. Live simply. And if you've been journeying with us in the formed life, uh, we have our, our, our real faith formed life journals, whether through the booklets or online, we've been practicing the discipline of simplicity of learning how to let go of things so that we're not so attached to them, to realize that when we grip onto things in life, we can find that we don't have enough room and tight grip to hold to the things of Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to go back. You can revisit those, those posts online or in the, the, the journal. Uh, you can check it out at the Formed Life. Um, form.life is also the website. And so as we think about the chokehold that sometimes wealth and possessions can have on us, I think the disciplines of of downsizing, of donating, and even denying ourselves particular desired purchases can be a way in which we guard against the ruinous and sinful power of greed in our lives. So so live simply. Second, invest wisely. This is really a lot of what what Ben was sharing about. Maybe for you, your next step uh, of real faith is investing in kingdom impact businesses and entrepreneurs who are seeking the flourishing and the well-being of our neighbors. That would be a great next step. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's revisiting your own financial portfolio to find out, one, am I investing in companies that are nefarious, unethical, or downright evil? And, and, and maybe another step for you would be to consider changing your investment strategies to invest in companies that are committed to the flourishing of all. In fact, a great organization I would commend to you is Eventide Investments. Eventide Investments, uh, they're a Christian-based investment firm that helps people grow their portfolios by honoring God and serving their clients through investing in companies that create compelling value for the global common good. I cannot commend to you this organization more. It is an absolutely beautiful, kingdom-minded, wise, economic-wise principle and uh, corporation. Check out Eventide Investments. So live simply. Invest wisely. Third, pay justly. As mentioned earlier, for those of you whom God has entrusted with the power of employment, if he has stewarded, if he's granted you the stewardship of caring for and providing wages for others, seek wise counsel to give serious biblical guidance to how you are compensating your employees, how you're paying your suppliers, and, and how you are overall working with Christ-like integrity. And, and another resource I would commend to you in that regard is if you haven't heard of Made to Flourish, I'd encourage you to check out this great resource. This was a, a pastoral network that, that was actually launched out of Christ Community that seeks to help churches and pastors integrate their faith, work, and economic wisdom for the flourishing of their communities. And so you're not going to find an article that's like, here's how much you pay your employees, but you are going to find wise principles of how to integrate your faith, your work, and economic convictions. So live simply, invest wisely. What did I say? Pay justly. I can't, I can't keep track of more than two things at a time. And then lastly, give generously. Give generously. And, and what I want to say to this is that we give generously as followers of Jesus, not from a place of, of obligation, not from a place of paying back, of evening the score. Followers of Jesus who live generously 
do so out of a great delight and joy in the fact that we are the recipients of God's extravagant, generous grace towards us. When we understand the depth of God's love towards us and richly blessing us and giving us his son, that compels us to be a people of generosity in ways that we couldn't imagine if we were driven or motivated by guilt or driven or motivated by a desire to look good and noble in the eyes of our peers. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, and especially if you are a member of this church, you are encouraged and called to be generous to your local church. Do so out, out, and and again, not from a place of of obligation, but out of a, a place of adoration for what Christ has done for us. When we understand how richly blessed we have been through Christ, that is what animates us to be a generous people. Now, if you're not committed to the church or not even sure what you think about Jesus, that's okay. You don't, you don't need to be, maybe being generous towards the church is not your next step. But for your own good and flourishing, for your own protection, seek to be generous in some way. Practice generosity, and in so doing, you will find the design for life that God has given us. But friends, we need to understand that if we don't allow God to manage our wealth, it will ruin us. I, I hope you hear, if you, if you know me, I hope you know that what I'm saying to you is not a message of, of guilt. I'm not trying to guilt you into a life of generosity, but rather to see that there is an extreme warning for those who have built their lives upon, upon wealth and possessions. They will corrode, they will fade, they will rot and decay, and the same fate awaits us when this becomes the basis upon which we live our lives. But when we receive and rejoice in the depth of God's grace towards us, in richly blessing us through Christ, we respond in generosity, not out of obligation, but out of adoration. It is a delight and joy to give and to live generously because we are responding to the joy and the generosity of our loving Father. Amen? So friends, there are, there are no two ways about it. If God, doesn't inv- if God does not manage our wealth, it will ruin us. May we be a people who avoid these pitfalls and find the freedom of life and being the recipients of God's generosity towards us. May it be so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your generosity towards us. Lord, I thank you even, I thank you for hard words in scripture that awaken us to the reality that you have created us to find our longing and satisfaction in you. And so, Lord, by your spirit, would you bring conviction to the areas and places in our life where we cling so tightly to things that prevent us from being able to use our hands to serve others and hold fast to you. Lord, I ask that your spirit would bring conviction and awaken us to the beauty of your extravagant, generous love towards us in Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us so that we might be declared sons and daughters of God most high. And so, Lord, would you equip us in light of that truth to be a people who seek to live justly, to walk humbly, and to seek mercy before you, our lover of our souls. May it be true of us as we leave this place, honoring you and serving you in the places you've called us. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.